Amen. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. I also want to invite you to take out a pen or a pencil. If you, uh, I, want to, I want you to take a few notes. Uh, I, I miss not being with you in a room, but grateful for the opportunity we have. There are a few prayers I pray every time I step up to preach. Uh, a few prayers I pray. One is from Luke chapter 4, that the same prayer Jesus prayed, that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord will be on me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives. Another prayer I pray every time I step up to preach anywhere is, God, remind me that the calling on my life today is not to be spectacular, it's to be faithful. And the other thing I pray is that God will help me to be an ambassador for hope, which right now is a daily decision. Multiple times every day I'm having to make that decision. God, I want to live from a place of hope, not fear. I want to live from a place of hope. Help me to be an ambassador of hope. I remember a couple of years ago, I shared with you a story that I was, I was on an airplane, and I do have a few airplane stories, but I, I was on a plane, and and I was leaving Dallas-Fort Worth one night, flying back to Memphis. It was a Saturday night. It was already dark outside. Uh, no one else was on the row where I was sitting. So I had, a, I had an aisle seat, but I had a clear view of the window. And as we left Dallas-Fort Worth, the pilot came on. And the pilot said, there may be a little turbulence tonight. There are a lot of storms uh, between here and Memphis. And, and as I got closer to Memphis, I looked out the window and I could see a storm from the distance. Maybe you've been able to do this before. When you've been on mountains, maybe when you've been in an airplane, maybe when you've been at the, pe- at the beach where you can see far off and you can see a storm and lightning strikes and you can see the rain falling. And it was beautiful to see that at night because the sky was lighting up. But then something happened that had never happened to me before is that the plane got over the thunderstorm. So I'm watching this storm happen, not from, not, not from seeing it over to the side where I can see the lightning striking me, from above where all you would see is like, I don't know any other way to describe it, but it was almost like a, a war zone where you couldn't see the lightning strike. You could just see clouds lighting up. I was over the storm. It was mesmerizing. Like it really was this moment of, God, I really am so small in this universe. And then the thought hit me. If I'm here and the storm is here, somehow we got to get here. And I was trusting that the pilot, and I don't know if it was a male or female pilot that night, I was trusting that they weren't going to take us through the, the heart of the storm. I mean, they were going to land us the, the best they knew. They were going to get us down to the ground safely, but somehow we had to get from here through something that was hard, through a storm, in, or, in order to land safely here. And that's where we are right now. Like we're hovering. There's this, this, this cloud of uncertainty. We don't know what this is going to look like. We, we know that there's loss. We have already lost things. And we know that this is a hard time. And we believe there's a God who can put things back together. But that also means there's going to be pieces that are going to be, that God's going to have to put back together. But we're here and we're just trusting. All we can do, all I can do is trust that a pilot knew what to do to get us on the ground. And all we can do is trust that God has navigated storms in the past and our God can navigate them now. I don't know about you, sometimes I live with just this naivete. Like I'm just naive that I, sometimes I think that we've advanced in knowledge enough in this world that there's no problem we can't solve immediately. That, we, that science is advanced to where we have answers to everything. We can just create medicine. And then there are moments like the season we're in where it's like, okay, maybe we're not as smart as we think we are. Maybe we're not as big as we think we are. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk you through two stories. The two stories in the Gospels where Jesus is in a storm and I want to give you 60... Six equipping pieces 
to take with you. Two storms, six equipping pieces. In, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, we have the first storm Jesus finds himself in. And what it says is this. Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. We don't know if this is the 12 yet because he doesn't call the 12 in Matthew until Matthew 10, but he's in a boat with his disciples. And verse 24 lays out, like lays the foundation for this story. In verse 24, what you're told is uh, a wind And a storm came over the sea. Now, I've been on the Sea of Galilee, and I have witnessed how fast this can happen. Because you're surrounded by these mountains, and storms can come upon you like, like that. There was a day that it was completely still out on the Sea of Galilee. And the next thing you knew is that, boom, there were, there were waves. There was a storm coming in. And it can happen fast. So they're out there, and, and these waves, that the boat is swamped. The waves, water's coming inside the boat. And then you read at the end of 24, Jesus is sleeping. The storm's happening, Jesus is sleeping. I don't know if he had had a little cup of NyQuil, if he had the gummy melatonins, I don't know what it was, but he's, Jesus is out, he's out cold. So the next verse, the disciples come and they start shaking Jesus, they're waking him up and they're like, Jesus, help us, help us, we're gonna die, we need you to save us. And Jesus' response, it's the only thing Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter eight in this storm. What he says is, why are you afraid you have little faith? Why are you afraid you have little faith? Then Jesus got up. Imagine that Jesus is having this conversation with him and he's still laying down in the fetal position or however it was that Jesus slept. He's still laying down saying, why do you have little faith? Why do you that? Don't be afraid. Then Jesus gets up and it says he rebuked the wind. It's the same thing Jesus does when he would rebuke demons, when he would drive out evil. He rebukes this storm the same way he rebuked demons. And the disciples, their response is, what in the world just happened? Like, who is this guy? That's storm number one. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, you have storm number two. And this story starts out with Jesus. It says Jesus made his disciples get into a boat. He made them get into a boat. Let me remind you what just happened in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus had just performed a miracle where he fed over 5,000 people. And it says in that story in Matthew 14 that Jesus fed them so much fish and bread that they were full. Imagine Thanksgiving when you've eaten so much you cannot put another bite of anything into your mouth. They're full. And now Jesus says, get in the boat. They're full of bread and fish. And now they got to get into a boat because Jesus told them to. And I joke around because I know a few of these guys are fishermen, but some of them weren't. Some of them may not have liked boats, and some of them may have been like, Jesus, we don't want to get in the, we don't do boats. And Jesus is like, get into the boat. He puts them in the boat. They go out to sea. Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. They go out onto the lake in a boat. Jesus is up on a mountain to pray. It says evening came. So at this point, I don't know, I'm guessing it's around 7 or 8 o'clock. The sun is setting, it's dark outside, apostles are on a boat, Jesus is up praying, and then a storm comes. And what it says is it's not until the next morning that Jesus goes walking out on the water. Literally in the Greek, it's the fourth watch of the night, so that's somewhere between three and six o'clock. So for over seven hours, these apostles are out on a boat in a storm, and Jesus is up on a mountain praying, looking out over the lake, knowing there's a storm, but Jesus remained in a place of prayer with God, knowing his apostles are out there struggling in a storm, yet he remains in a place of prayer. He prays, they're struggling, and then Jesus starts walking out on the water. Mark chapter 648 says Jesus intended just to pass them by. Which is such a funny thought. Like Jesus isn't even walking out to them according to Mark. Like Jesus is just strolling across the water. Just going to the other side. 
But in Matthew 14, what happens is they look out and they see what, they, they think it's a ghost. And here's what Jesus says to them. Take heart. It's I. Don't be afraid. They had every reason to be afraid. And then this conversation happens. So if it's a storm and you're in a boat, we have to think like Jesus probably isn't 100 yards away. If they're able to talk and have a conversation, Jesus isn't too far from them. But the conversation is Peter says, okay, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus is like, then come on. And I joke in this moment because I think Peter probably looked at his buddies and he was like, uh, I was just joking. Like, I really didn't mean it. Like, I, I didn't really mean if it was you and you tell me to come, I was going to come. It was just saying, you know, it was just a conversation piece. And Jesus is like, come on. So, so Peter starts walking on the water. And when he saw the waves, he began to fall and sink. Matthew 14 says Jesus caught him. And when Jesus caught him, Jesus spoke directly to Peter, and what Jesus said to Peter is, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And here's one of my favorite parts about this story, and we don't have a lot of details with it. But it's not until Jesus gets into the boat that the wind ceases. You would have thought it would have been, the easiest thing to do is for Jesus to catch Peter, and then to make the wind cease, and then together they could walk over this, this still water to get into a boat. But instead, what you have is somehow Jesus and Peter, I don't know if they had their arms around each other, somehow Jesus is carrying him, dragging him across the water, but they are going over the storm to get into a boat. Jesus is the one who walks over and through and he conquers the storm and he gets into a boat. And when he gets into a boat, the wind ceases. And the last verse of the story is worship breaks out. They worship the one who could conquer the storm. So here are six equipping pieces. Write these down, take notes, share these on social media, shoot me an email, let me know which one of these means the most to you right now. Number one is this. The one who conquered the storm is the one who could have kept the storm from happening. And this is what's a struggle for some of us when we try to think about like what is God up to right now? The one who conquered the storm could have kept the storm from happening. Yet the storm happened. Since the beginning of time, like, or not the beginning of time, but since the rebellion of humanity, it wasn't just humans who rebelled, but all creation has rebelled. So I think every form of storm and disaster, like what we're experiencing right now, is, is a movement of rebellion against what God intended for all of creation. So, so sometimes storms just happen, and we know God could hold them back, but storms happen, and now we're just waiting to say, okay, God, what are you going to do? Number two is this. Number two is... In the storm, Jesus slept through one and casually walked across the other. He slept through one, casually walked across the other. There is this non-anxious presence in Jesus. I preached this two weeks ago, the last time we were in this room together, that Jesus had this non-anxious presence, this calm about him. And there were times where Jesus was agitated, times where he flipped over tables, but there was this, non, there was this non-anxious presence about him where the peace of God was able to transcend any circumstance, any storm, whether it was Jesus going through a real storm or Jesus going all the way to the cross, this peace of God that transcends all things, all times, all circumstances. Number three is this. In these two stories about the storms, everything Jesus said was while the storm was happening. We don't have Jesus say anything from the boat. Everything Jesus communicated to them in Matthew 8 and in Matthew 14, it wasn't much, but every line Jesus spoke was while the storm was happening. 
So I've spent time this week just before God saying, God, I need you to speak something to me. As I, as I counsel people, walk with people, pray with people, prepare to preach to people, shoot other videos for people, I need you to say something to me. And there have been times I've just laid before God, and I'm like, God, speak for your servant is listening. Speak for your servant is listening. And I didn't hear the audible voice of God, but I sensed God the other day look at me and say, I'm trying. But you're, you're not listening. You say you're listening, but you're not listening. You're reaching for the, the latest update. You're reaching for the newest research. You're reaching for articles. You're reaching for pieces all over the place. But you're not staying still enough for me to speak a word into your life. Jesus speaks in the storm. Number four is this. When Jesus speaks in these two storms, he speaks directly to two things. He speaks directly to faith, and he speaks directly to fear. I think Jesus is fully aware that there were plenty of reasons to be afraid in these stories. Don't be afraid. He says it in both stories. Don't be afraid. Like, why are you afraid? And he speaks to faith. Have faith that Jesus is the one who can get us through. He speaks to faith and fear. The fifth thing is this. In both stories, the storm is temporary. I know when we're in them, it feels like they're going to last forever. And we also know that there are going to be a lot of pieces. They're going to have to be put back together. But the storms are temporary. And number six is this. When God gets us through, through it and on the other side of it, there's a God to be worshipped. A God for what God has done in the past. A worship because of what God is doing now. And worship because of what God's going to do on the other side. And one thing I love about what the disciples do in Matthew 8 when this boat is being hit by the storm, as they go to the source, they know Jesus is the only one who can save us. They go to Jesus and cry for help and cry for salvation. You were the one, and Jesus is the only one who can help us right now with our anxiety, our fear, our loss. He's, he's the only one who can help us. So for those of you who are struggling right now with anxiety, I'm asking for you to reach for help. Talk to God. Talk to people in this church. For so many of us right, right now, struck by and sometimes paralyzing fear. Speak about it. Talk about it. Express it. But let, let's commit to this. Fear can be a decent conversation partner, but fear makes a lousy master. Fear can be a decent conversation partner, but fear is a lousy master. And I want us to know this. Throughout, throughout the history of time, I mean, God has led people through some major storms they've had to, to deal with, even what we're dealing with right now. In the year 165, so just a little over 100 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead, there was a, a pandemic, there was a sickness that took over all of Rome, where at some point 30% of the people died. Some days had over 5,000 people dying, yet it's the church that continued to rise up to be a voice for faith and a voice for the needy. In the year 251, there was another epidemic that swept the, the whole, the whole uh, Roman Empire, another sickness. And it was then again, so many people were dying, but the church continued to rise up to be a voice for faith and a voice for hope and a voice for help. Next Sunday, I want to spend a little more time reminding us the story of the yellow fever epidemic that hit Memphis right here in 1878. We're just in a span of a few days Hundreds, thousands of people died from yellow fever, and they didn't know really what it was or where it came from. And, and so many people left the city, and so many people chose to stay, and they ended up dying. The martyrs of Memphis, you could Google, it's a wonderful story. But the church continued to say, hey, we want to be a voice for faith, a voice for hope, a voice for God, no matter, no matter what.
Here at Sycamore View, we talk a lot about the five commitments, and I think the five commitments are so important right now to keep us connected to God and connected to each other. The first commitment we make here at Sycamore View is a commitment to discover. We seek God, we reach for God. Number two is we make a commitment to connect. Stay connected to us right now through email and every social media platform as we connect to each other in ways that we're still strengthening each other, encouraging one another. We're trying to do our best to connect and stay connected. Number three is serve. Uh, You received an email from us yesterday, and after this, you're going to see posts on social media about a help form that is coming to you that you can fill out, and those will be sent in to us, and Jim Hinkle's going to take those, and and we have a plan in place to try to take care of needs, and we know these needs are going to grow over the coming days and weeks, so we don't know exactly all the ways we're going to have to serve, but there is a call to serve. Number four is give. We know these are challenging times where we're asking you to continue to give, whether it's through online or by sending a, a check to the church. And, and I made a commitment yesterday that for, just for my family, we've increased by 1% what, we're, what our current tithe is because I don't ever want to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. And number five is to go. Right, Spread love everywhere we go. My family last night took the challenge from Anna Moser, our children's minister, to write letters to the elderly, and we wrote those, and then we delivered them to a few neighbors in our, right there in our neighborhood, just put them in their mailboxes with a note about the love of God. We're praying for them. Here's our cell phone number if you need anything. God is still crea- just as creative as God has ever been, and God is using us in this time to spread the goodness of God all over this city. And I want to remind us of what covenant means. That the covenant people make in a marriage is the covenant we make with God and the covenant God makes with us through sickness and health. We are committed to God and to each other. And God is committed to us. Right there where you are, will you bow your heads? Let's close our eyes. If you will, let's open our hands together. And God, I'm just thanking you today for being the one who has conquered storms in the past, and we are begging you to conquer them now. God, hold back and push back this current crisis we're in. You taught us to pray for your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven, and we know in the fullness of heaven there's no coronavirus, there's no cancer, there's nothing that sets itself up against you. We're asking you, God, to send deposits of that right now in our present. Heal us. Open our eyes to see you. You are our only way. We look to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.